My name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for the week of March 20... Pretty sure I got the date right. Yeah, something like that. Uh, As I said, my name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Armored Core 5. Oh, oh. Oh, that is kind of a surprise. Uh, My name is Jason McMaster, and my game of the week is not Prototype. Hi, I'm Michael Barnes, and my game of the week is definitely not Ninja Gaiden 3. Ouch! Wow, brutal. (laughs) We'll explore that in a moment with our guest, Mr. Michael Barnes. But first, Mr. Barnes, I have a bone to pick with you. Oh, let's get to some bone picking then. (laughs) Are you or are you not, I'm going to call you out on this podcast, responsible for all of those mean comments about my review of Journey? On the quarter to three. <laughs> yes, my plan is coming together. No, of course not. But about uh, you seem to have uh, lit off something of a firestorm there. Uh, but no, I I, I, I I love the game. But I um, but I'm also I mean like any decent work, it's going to cause uh, you know some disparity of opinion. And I mean all great art in some way causes this this sort of fracture between you know i liked it i didn't like it and it's if it's worth talking about then that says something even if it's worth talking about negatively so, and it's also a game that, that i think that you know you really bring uh something of yourself into it and if it if it doesn't register with you it just doesn't it just doesn't work and, and that's totally understandable because not all not all artwork works the same way on everybody you know, in, in a certain way. And the thing about it is, with, with, with some of your criticisms, I don't necessarily disagree with a lot of what you said. Uh, and, and, and I think that most smart folks would also look at it and say, well, this is Tom Chick's particular interpretation of it, and this is what he brought out of it, and whatever. And there are points at which maybe it isn't, doesn't really work quite right as a video game. But that said, I loved it. I loved the experience that it gave me. I loved the, the way it made me think about certain things, and, and, and I really appreciate it. But, but it more to the point, no, I'm not responsible for some of that nonsense. Okay, I, I mean, nonsense. if you, I'm not responsible for any of it. <laughs> yeah, I just thought if you wanted to register with some pseudonyms, that's fine. I just wondered how many of those were yours. Uh, no, no, I've not, <laughs> I've not really done that there. There's maybe there's some other point, parts in quarter to three where I may or may not have done that, but not not on that one. One of my favorite comments in that that section. So basically, to let folks know what happened is. Uh, Game called a game called Journey came out. It's by uh, that game company, and they did a game called Flower, which I loved. Um, and I played Journey, and uh, I can understand why people like it. And I did a review for it, and I gave it a, a fairly low score. And we got this flood, this crazy flood of angry comments. Um, who that's part of what happens when you're listed on Metacritic, I think. People will just yeah. open the page for their favorite game. They'll scroll down to the bottom of who gave it the lowest score, and then they'll run over and they'll write mean things to that person. And that's just uh, that's just how a lot of gamers sort of operate. It's silly, it's immature, juvenile, whatever. I- I'm used to it. But um, what surprised me was for a game that is really kind of like slow and thoughtful and introspective, like I got a lot of stuff. Like you, you suck dicks, fag. Like a lot of that level of comment. Well, if you well, stop, here's, here's, people stop saying that. That's all I'm saying, Tom. <laughs> here, 
Here's here's the thing, Tom, and 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 this goes back to something I think you said it about Portal Two last year uh, that you know Portal Two is a game. Then Portal, the first one, is are games that make people feel smart for playing them, and I think Journey, in some sense, is a game that makes people feel smart for playing it. And more than that, I think because it does have these sort of cues that people react to emotionally, you're digging at something that. Has, has, has apparently touched a lot of people in a certain kind of way, and you know they're going to throw up their defenses because of that. And I, and I think it really kind of goes beyond like when you you gave Starcraft two, would you give it like a like a B or something? This like damning B or whatever. So I, you know I think that's sort of what's at work there is that you're getting at this thing. I still don't understand why someone would call you a dick or a fag or whatever all that nonsense. That's just you know that's unfortunately part of gamer culture, I guess. But well, I I want to posit that I, there's something else going on here. I think Barnes and I. I uh, let me float this and see what you guys think of it. Uh, I think there's a a, a, a strong uh, part of what's going on in in terms of the the tone of people responding is I th- I wonder if that goes with uh, the PlayStation Three because traditionally maybe that system has had a kind of siege mentality. It has plenty of exclusive franchises that are often overshadowed by 360 franchises. So I wonder if there's this weird sort of PlayStation 3 defense force kind of thing going on. You, you know, that that may actually very well be part of it, and, and I definitely see where you're coming from with that. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, because it is such a well-regarded game, and it is, it's, it is a, and whether you like it or not, it is a unique game, um, and it is exclusive, so it may very well be sort of this absolutely obnoxious console, you know, siege idea going on there. I, I think there may be something to that. And, and unfortunately, when you start getting into that, you know, I have to validate my $300 corporate purchase mentality, then you do start getting those people that are going to call you name, nasty names like that. Because, well, I mean, let's face it, if you're that worked up over which $300 you gave to which corporation and you need the internet to validate that then you're going to get people that aren't aren't, aren't the uh stern of sticks in the bunch so to speak so uh, there were there were though to be fair i really appreciated some of the comments in there and i want to highlight and i you know what i should have looked up the guy's name because he deserves credit but one of the guys who posted in there related an experience he had when he was kayaking and uh he got caught in a uh i don't know in a riptide or something like that uh, and was having trouble getting back into shore and these dolphins came up and swam along beside him and basically escorted him for a while until he could get back into to shore um, and he related that to uh, those kite creatures in in journey and to really read about how that is how the experience touched him i mean i saw the kite creatures and i kind of thought hey this is a cool nod to uh the culture of kites in the middle east like the 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 movie kite runner and i sort of thought yeah that's a nod there but this other guy had this really personal and 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 powerfully meaningful touchstone for that and i love reading about i love people talking about games at that level so i do too absolutely And and i think it's very significant that that game can be talked at at that level and and that's that's what i mean by you know you you're really bringing things into the game and the game is giving you things back like that and i think that's why i like that it's so vague and abstract and really minimal because if it were more specific then it it would be harder for the game to to act on that level and we wouldn't have a conversation like that i mean you can't play uh you know what's a random game you can't play Whatever. And, and, armored and, Core and, Five. Armored armor, Core Five. You can't have Armored Core Five and and have a you know this experience, this sort of meditative 
introspective connection with it and you know and, and i think that's one of the reasons why i like the game is because you can sit down with people and have that kind of a conversation about it i mean it, it meant something completely different to me the kite things meant something totally different i mean and a lot of what the game meant to me was that it was about language and the development of culture and and companionship and how relationships develop and loss and guilt and all these other things uh you know really sort of a broad spectrum of, of human experience but that's really cool that someone can look at it and say this is something this reflects something that happened in my life and, and it really needs that level of vagueness it's like what, what you guys talked about last week with bastion how it has these hooks or these cues where you can latch onto those and, and tease out meaning for yourself versus what's given to you uh, mcmaster have you fiddled with journey at all no i haven't right. I, I want to but i, I have yet not yeah well, it is worth pointing out, and I say worth pointing out in that I don't think it means anything, but I found it striking. Uh, of the 64 reviews on Metacritic, one is negative. <laughs> so uh, people love Journey, and I respect that, and I would encourage everyone to try it and not listen to a crotchety old fellow like me. Uh, but it absolutely didn't work for me. Uh, however, otherwise, uh, it's doing very well critically, and I couldn't be happier. I mean, I loved what those guys did with Flower. I, I hope Journey is successful for them. I look forward to what they do next. Um, but, uh, yeah, whereas Barnes, you you got a lot out of it. I just thought it was minimal to a fault. Um, and I, I just I guess I need more of a gameplay hook. I don't know. I don't know. You and know, I was disappointed, too. I have to say, Flower, the way that you played Wind and Flower and the way that your, your avatar was constantly changing depending on how many petals you folded in, and that gave it a sense of color and even sound, like different petals had different musical cues. Um, I really liked the cleverness of that hook. Uh, and I, to be reduced to, to controlling a little jumping man in Journey, I thought was kind of a disappointing follow-up. That was part of the problem for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, McMaster, we're going to need you to be a tiebreaker. At some point, give give Journey a shot. <laughs> Let us right. know whether you're in the Barnes camp or the Chick camp. All right. Uh, Michael Barnes, you probably don't have a lot of time to play video games these days because your house, it seems like, is very I've got, crowded. I've got, I've got to squeeze it in. <laughs> so let's see, what is your you have what is your newest addition on your house? In your house, uh, I should say. Well, it's 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 a it's a six month old baby, a baby girl named Scarlet. That, That's an uh, awesome name. Very now, neat. <laughs> what is Scarlet's? Uh, is it an older brother or sister that Scarlet has? She has she has an older brother named River. He's he's two, uh, and he is he's a rascal. So, and par- I think he's partially insane. Uh, you know, I'll be <laughs> sitting around and he'll just suddenly throw his entire body at my face and say "dada." So there's a word awesome, for that. It's know. terrible twos, right? It is the terrible twos. Absolutely, one hundred percent. But it's uh it's great. You know, I wouldn't have it any other way. They're the best thing ever in all of time as far as i'm concerned so <laughs> that's that's some pretty serious hyperbole so you're saying yeah. 10 out of 10 on the kids 10, 10 out of 10 if they were on metacritic they'd be rated 10 <laughs> out of 10 and there there would be a slew of user reviews rating them two and three <laughs> now barnes i want to talk to you i want to walk you many many years into the future let's say uh 30 35 years in the future uh you're kind oh my of gosh so we're, we're eating like food in a pill form and all wearing unisex leotards and flying around in our flying cars you bet that'll never happen now however you can't quite appreciate it because like me you're somewhat older and you're maybe losing some of your mental faculties and you're you sort of you sort of putter around the house and rant a lot 
so your children. Oh, this is now. <laughs> yeah, I should say more than usual, right? So your your children are fondly recalling that time when they were kids, and they're remembering Scarlet and River are are talking and they're hanging out after having given you your uh you know your your senior space mush whatever it is that you subsist on in the future, uh, and they're recalling the time the first video game that you showed them. Oh wow! <laughs> what what will that be? Because I can't imagine. I mean, that's got to be one of the awesome upsides of having kids is thinking into the future. You know, what awesome game am I going to introduce my kid to? Uh, what what will they be discussing in the future? Well, yeah, it would probably be a pinball machine to be honest with you. virtual You're talking about a, table a with pinball FX too, right? No, I'm talking about Pinbot or Black Knight, but no, but but but, but specifically to the question, uh, that's that's an awesome question that I've not really ever considered. <laughs> I guess at this um, point you're busy like changing diapers and fending your son off of your face. Yeah, and and, and dissuading them from ever touching video games. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it would probably I don't I don't know. That's a good question because it would probably be I would. If if it were an ideal situation, it would, pro- would probably want it to be something that's very elemental, uh, something that it has some sort of historical value, um, something that they could look at and say, "This is why Dad likes this stuff," and you know, this is you know something they can extrapolate on that why the games that they're playing in the future, what with their mind control devices and. <laughs> You know, you know, there are super hyper realistic 4D real time whatever graphics or whatever they could look at and say, oh, okay, here's this is the origin, this is from whence they came, you know, that sort of thing. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe even something like Space Invaders or I don't know, Space War even. <laughs> okay, let me. I have a suggestion for you. I just want you to take this under consideration. You don't have to say anything. I'm just going to put it out there, and you can think back on it as they get older. But here's a suggestion. Uh, Shank. Oh, Tom. <laughs> no, no, I didn't give Shank a very nice review. And I actually, I, I actually asked Bill when when I reviewed it at GameStar, I asked him if I could unlock the dreaded F, and he said no. But I absolutely despised the first one. I've not played the second one. I know you liked it, and, and a lot of folks liked it better. But, but yeah, not so much. Uh, okay, Barnes, <laughs> I have advice for you. Never, ever ask an editor if you can unlock a grade. Just give it. Just give it that grade, well, and then well, if the editor fusses... I did, and he said, you know, I don't want to give an F unless it's a game yeah. that's just completely, totally broken. And, I've, and got, I said, well, I've okay. got that speech before, too, yeah. But, but now... <laughs> Now, but now, for when I reviewed Amy, the F stood. So, <laughs> so let's say Michael Barnes, you are going to be banished to a desert island. You can bring one of two games with you. You can either bring Shank or Amy. What do you bring? Oh Christ! <laughs> That's uh, right. Oh, you know, I don't have to actually play either of them, so I would probably actually bring Shank over Amy because Amy is just completely unplayable garbage and shank you can actually i mean you can control a character and push a button and do stuff amy you can kind of marginally do that so and i would so like you, to point out for shank on that one and and based on your pick uh, i would like to point out uh only one of those games got an f on game shark it was amy yeah yeah so uh all right so uh mcmaster let's move over to our uh, format what is our format going to be on this week's quarter to three games podcast 
Well, I believe we'll be starting with news and moving to games. Mm, of the week, our picks of the week. Not of Correct. all, not of all time, right? Not of all time. No. I see. Okay. Uh, so, McMaster, why don't you be in charge? I, wh- now, McMaster, let me tell you before we start. With great power comes great responsibility. Oh. Every, everybody knows that from the Superman comics. So of keep course. that in mind. And I want you to then be in charge of who's going first for their news of the week. All right, Tom, you're going first. Please. Oh. You call me out. All right. So actually, I'm glad I'm going first because this is the no-brainer. Uh, we may not have anything to say about it, but uh, it's the it's the elephant in the room, and that is that is Bioware uh, sort of doing damage control uh, to the this this strange groundswell of anger that's sort of bubbling up about the ending of Mass Effect Three. Now. Well, I just want to let listeners know before we start, we're not going to spoil anything. If I'm not mistaken, neither of you has finished it yet, so we no. won't talk about the specifics of the ending. Um, okay, but, so, so I shouldn't reveal that, that when Tolly takes off her mask, it's actually comedian Ch- Carol Channing. Now, you know what? I have a question. So I am not, oh, I, I, I am not a big Mass Effect fan, but I mean, I, in that I don't know all the minutia and stuff, but do they really show Tolly's face at some point? Well, apparently they do, and this has already been all over the internet. But it's a, but it's the, the, the apparently they used a stock photo of some random woman, and then like put like a three fingered hand in the picture or something. So, <laughs> so it's so not in the game. There's up for over that too. So <clears throat> that's just a picture. Like if you romance Tally, then Shepard has that picture in his cabin. But is there a, a is there like a cut scene or a point in the game where she actually takes off her mask and you can see well, it? I know she takes it off with her back. To oh, her. oh yeah, I remember that part. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't say what happened in mine without spoiling anything, but but uh, I most definitely did not see the yeah. face. Me yeah, either. okay, that's what I think is going on here, is that she's never, which is kind of odd to me. The the <laughs> audience never sees her face, but Shepard sees her face, which is a weird sort of narrative sleight of hand, because we are supposed to be Shepard. Like, I, I feel that that's just a, one of many clumsy things that Bioware does, uh, is that... Yeah, Shepard gets to see Tally's face. We, the audience, don't, unless you find that little stock photo that you're talking about in the cabin. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay, so enough about Tally. What's going on is that, uh, so Barnes, am I correct? You have not quite finished yet, right? That's right, and I do just want to go ahead and point out that you stole my news item. <laughs> that, you know what? That's fine. We can definitely overlap. Uh, so, no, it's so- totally okay. I'm, I'm teasing. We'll pile on in here. I one that's more important. So. <laughs> okay, good. Well, you know, that's interesting because I do kind of feel in a way this is a weird – it's kind of a non-story. You know, yeah. like fans being angry at a poorly written ending. Hello? Like are, are, are they new to video gaming? Well, it's, hold on, hold on, yeah, hold on. Yeah. I'll put the brakes on here. Okay. Since, we, since, since, since we've not finished it, uh, I, don't, I don't know that it's poorly written. Okay, um, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, what I'm going on, what I'm going on, and, and I'm just, I'm just gathering context from the discussion that's going on, is that it's an ending that is considered unsatisfactory because a lot of folks feel that it invalidates the personal choices they made, which aren't really personal choices. They're just dialogue branches. They're not, you're not really deciding what goes on in the story, and it's also an ending that may be more vague and less conclusive than what was expected. And this has caused people to explode in rage and anger or whatever. But you know, you know, we say this is a, this this is a you know a non story or not not that important, but it really kinda is because here you have 
a, a company that, that's putting out a creative product that's actually altering the ending to suit the fan base. And I, I, I frankly, I think that's disgusting. Well, now, to be fair, Barnes, they haven't necessarily – That what I get the impression is that they're doing sort of damage control and applying right. a little bit of lip service at this point and that they might rejigger some of the DLC to supposedly address this. I'm, I'm not convinced well, right. that they're going to change the ending. Be cha- it may not – and, and you know, as, as the statement was, was said something along the lines, they want to preserve the artistic integrity that the writers intended while also satisfying the fans. I still – still, I, I, it just sticks in my craw so much because right. I think, uh, you, know, I, you, know, I, you know, over on No High Scores, I've commented on this too, that, you know, what if there was a huge – Chinatown fan base on the internet, and it was 1976, and they went to go see Chinatown, and everybody hated the ending because Jake Giddies doesn't solve the crime, and it's you know there's this open-ended conclusion. And what if those fans petitioned and whined and pitched a fit that the ending of Chinatown betrayed their trust in Roman Polanski and that he didn't deliver what he promised and all this and that. I mean, what kind of precedent would that set? What, think about other movies. 2001, what if the ending was dubbed confusing and, and non-conclusive and, once again, Kubrick did not satisfy what we wanted out of this movie? Or The Birds. I mean, you know, if, if, <laughs> if, if we're going to crowdsource endings for, for, for creative works, where is this going to leave us in terms of you know, moving games as a medium forward, as, as an authored medium forward, if we've got to satisfy the fan base and then react to what they think, now, which, I, which is not universal. I mean, there's I, a lot I, of people that have said the, the ending's great, I love the ending, you know, it worked for me, you know, I liked that it had some, you know, there was some leeway at the end for me to think about what happened, and, you know, I don't know. I I love what you're saying, Barnes, and uh, I completely agree with you in terms of uh, preserving artistic integrity of the authors. Uh, But I I think what's going on here uh, and what makes this completely different is that this is how video games work as a medium. From the very beginning, BioWare has created this sense of shared authorship. They're not telling you a story so much as letting you pick the story you want. And I can completely understand that... Where they bring this this epic trilogy is a place that a lot of players don't want it to be at. Now that said, I don't. I, I just use sloppy writing or bad writing as shorthand because I love the ending. I love the way it winds up. I'm really happy with it. A, a lot of what you sort of characterized it as is, is accurate, Barnes. So I think you're on the right track. Um, but it's sort of like when we we discussed a few podcasts ago this reaction to a Mass Effect novel that they hired a third party that they hired some science fiction writer to come in and write, and he got a lot of the details wrong, and and the fans were angry. And I think this is the bed that Bioware has made for themselves, Electronic Arts. Uh, And so it's the same thing with the ending, uh, is that going forward, I think this is an important growing pain that video games are going to have. Mm -hmm. If If you bring the player, if you create for the player this illusion that the player can do whatever he wants, and it can be open-ended, and if you draw that out over however many years Mass Effect 3 has been out... You're going to have to deal with this. If you want to do something kind of cool and different and maybe not have a tidy bow on the package where the Death Star explodes and everybody gets a medal, if you want to have a different kind of ending, you're going to have to deal with this. And I really, really hope, and I, I 
that, that Bioware doesn't cave. I mean, as angry as people are, I really want them to stick to their guns. And I think I that, too. and that's going to be the best thing that can happen for video games is that this is a precedent that's set. Fans are maybe angry or unsatisfied, but they understand that they are being told a story ultimately and they don't get to always have it be the way they want to be it. Uh, oh, I did a panel at GDC and one of the, uh, one of the guys on the panel, a fellow named Matt Vorch, who's at LucasArts, mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about free-to-play business model, and he said something that was kind of controversial, but that was really striking. He said that his job as a game designer is not to give players what they want, but to give players what they need. Now, he clarified a little bit. It sounds a little arrogant, uh, and he didn't quite mean it the way it sounds, but I think that's an important lesson for game designers and specifically storytellers. Uh, is that if you want to do something different and bold and provocative and meaningful, you don't just give players this sort of the same Star Wars-influenced path that we've been getting all along. You give them something different. You give the industry something it needs, like like uh, 2K does with Bioshock. You know, mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff we need that's not just fan service. Uh, and so I, I really hope that whatever damage control they're doing doesn't lead to them backing down and retconning the ending somehow. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so I, I agree this is an important thing, and uh, let's, let's set a, a good precedent, EA. You know, you know yeah, it's funny. You know, the key word from what, what you were saying about, and, and I totally agree with you in terms of the interactivity, and there's this sense of shared authorship, but the key word there really is that it's, a, it's an illusion. Yeah. Uh, when, when it comes down to it, you're not co-authoring Mass Effect any more than you're co-authoring a choose-your-own-adventure book. You're, I mean, it, it's just the way it is. It's just that you get people, and here, here it is again, you get people involved on this emotional level, level that it's their shepherd, and it's like what you're saying with Tali, that you're supposed to be shepherd. And so uh, uh, there's th- this weird psychological thing going on where it's like, I don't, I don't know. It's almost like people have taken the ending so personally, almost that it's that it's against them, you know. So, <laughs> Barnes, uh, I, have a, I have a question for you because I think you are. Are you in the Metal Gear? You know what? I think I'm confusing you with Mitch Dyer. But are you a Metal Gear no, Solid I, fan? No, I'm. I'm a huge Metal. I'm okay. a hopeless Metal Gear fan. Okay, why? Why didn't this happen to the ending of that last Metal Gear where where Snake uh, dies? Like, why didn't this happen to Kojima uh, with Metal Gear? Well, you know, I'll tell. I, I think I have an a- accurate answer for that. The thing that interests me about Metal Gear, aside from I, I love the design, love it. I love the look of it. I love the absurdity of it. I love that it's you know this weird mix of influences, spaghetti westerns and James Bond and you know El Topo and all this weird stuff thrown together. But but the thing about Kojima and Metal Gear Solid is that those games are really when you really look at them, they're not really very mainstream. They're very out there, based on everything else, based against something like Mass Effect that's very mainstream and tells stories in a very mainstream kind of way that's accessible and, you know, people can get at the subtext because it's pretty obvious when one alien race doesn't like the other, there's this whole racism thing going on. You know, everybody can get that. But with Metal Gear, I don't don't know. I I think that because it is a, is a little more maverick than the audience that really would be emotionally affected that is probably a little more receptive to to, to, to an ending that's not 
quite as a uh, you know cut and dried or as happy as, as some other audiences might be. And I think it also has a stronger sense of voice too. Uh, I, I mean, you you realize when you're sitting down to play. Director, yeah, right. that's a very very big difference. Like with Mass Effect, it doesn't feel as nearly as as authorial. Uh, it doesn't feel nearly as one person is behind it. You know, you, you're aware that you're playing something that's very much a team, uh, collaborative effort, whereas Metal Gear feels like a Kojima game. And that's one, that's another reason why I like those games so much, is they do have such a strong directorial voice, which you don't see a whole lot in games. And, and hopefully that's one of the growing pains I would like to see happen, is eventually we move more towards this sense of authorship, and we have somebody who say, this is this person's game. We have a couple of folks like that. We know a Sid Meier game. We know a, a Miyamoto game. You know, So it, do, it does happen, but I'd like to see even more of that sort of uh, really... I want, to, I want to see somebody come out that's like a like a Kubrick of video games, you know, or a Hitchcock of video games, which we don't really quite have that that I, level yet. But I think we're getting there with uh, with Shank Two. <laughs> that's really that's really the linchpin that the future <laughs> of video games hinges on, isn't it? Uh, McMaster, have yeah. you gotten to the end of Mass Effect yet? Or are you? Uh... No, I'm. Uh, okay. Yeah, I <clears throat> I don't know how much I want to say. So. Okay, yeah. So we'll, we'll hold off on that. So I like the game. I do want to say that I, I do like it. I am enjoying I it. I do too. Yeah. I, it's, you know, and, it's and, 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 and Tom, I know you hated Mass Effect, and you thought it was the worst game ever made. <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know, one thing that I really liked that they preserved from the second one was that it has this kind of episodic structure that you go and you do a little mission and you come back and there's this little debriefing where, you know, in Mass Effect 2 you're talking to the elusive man and in 3 you're talking to Admiral Hackett. And so it sort of wraps things up and it's sort of like the end of that night's episode. I, I like that. It's 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 a huge game. It's sprawling. The scope's huge. But it has this, like, really kind of bite-sized structure. And I don't really see anyone ever commenting on that. But I, but I, I really enjoy that because then I can sit down and I can, like, crank out, you know, my – Two or three hours of playing awful Ninja Gaiden three for a review, and then I can sit down and do do a mission on on, on Mass Effect three, and you know I, I feel like I don't have to sit and like do a marathon session like I used to do when I was a kid, you know. Well, you know what that's a byproduct of, I think Barnes is uh, a those old space serials which so yeah. influenced science fiction sure. and even Star Wars. You can see, you know, there's the Tatooine sequence, there's the Death Star sequence, there's right. uh, so the, the space serials influence that. But I think it's a it's a happy accident that the way bio where builds games feeds into that. Like we're going to make this level, and that's going to be where one adventure takes place. And then we go back to the hub, and then we make this level. You know, it's one of those few occasions where I, most of the time, I wish that Bioware would just do an open world engine already, because mm. something like Dragon Age, that's the kind of story they're trying to tell. But in a mm. science fiction game where you fly here and you do this adventure, and then you fly here and you do that adventure, it, it kind of works. It's this great marriage of narrative and, and game structure. Well, what that also does too, there's there's a knock on effect of that too, is that it, it enables the stories and the adventures to take on some traits of different genres there's stories that are in 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 both mass effect 2 and mass effect 3 that are there's stories that are horror stories there's detective stories there's a courtroom drama i mean there's all these different kinds of stories that can be told in that in that context because of that format i love that yeah like uh battlestar galactica there's detective there's courtroom drama there's Mm -hmm. a guy that gets fat uh and then then there's and there's that episode where they're boxing yeah (laughs) oh god that's right yeah uh, Barnes, you uh, you have a closet full of board games. Am I not mistaken? Uh, they're they're actually on shelves and they're sitting right behind me as we speak. On uh, what on what uh, what level of prominence is your copy of Battlestar Galactica featured? 
it's on it's on the permanent it's on it's on the permanent collection shelf. It's uh, I'm looking at it, it's way up top. It's uh it's next to Cosmic Encounter, so that's a good sign. Okay, that's good. I like uh, that. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's probably gonna stay there. When we play Battlestar Galactica, uh, McMaster, we need you to be chief, and we need you to repair all of the Vipers as we break them. Who's who's going to be McLeod? <laughs> I don't even oh. know what that is. That some seventies TV reference, McMaster? <laughs> Maybe, or if, show, right? <laughs> if, yeah, or if you're a mystery science theater fan, it's a joke and pod people. Ah, uh, you know what I was thinking? A running, running joke, yeah. yeah. Oh no, Mitchell's. Oh, class. I, uh, fun fact: I own every mystery science theater. Wow. Okay. Party at McMaster's house. Tonight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, so that was my news story of the week. Is that uh, I really hope Bioware sticks to their guns. We'll, we'll see what's coming in terms of DLC. But uh, I, I quite liked the ending. Uh, I can understand people taking issue with it, but I think it's a, an important step in video games growing, and I hope folks accept that and that Bioware sticks to it. So we'll see where we go. McMaster, who is next for news? Uh, of the week? You know what? I'll uh, I'll go ahead and take next uh, since uh, mine is about uh, app counterfeiting. One of the kids that won the one of the kids, sorry, one of the people that won the uh, IGF winning student uh, or uh, IGF uh, awards this year for one and one story. His game was uh, stolen and put on the app store within 24 hours of uh, that happening. So he is now trying to have that pulled down by Apple. Wait, how did a game get stolen and put on the App Store? Uh, what happens is this. Uh, people, like they release games in a lot of different formats, and they usually will release one on one format first and then work on releasing it on others. So, with his game, it was written in Flash. Uh, and someone took his Flash game, and they reverse-engineered it and then rewrote it quickly uh, and put it up on the App Store. And are these the same people who made Yeti Town? Uh, no, but it is the ex- oh, that's ridiculous, dude. But like, that's like one of my favorites, uh, Yeti Town. Oh yeah, we'll do your iPad for it. Yeah, no problem. And then all of a sudden they break off communications with them and mm-hmm. release their own game. That's pretty rad. Um, no, it's it's the same kind of deal, and that is uh, that happens a lot, and it's really depressing, uh, specifically because I'm actually I design apps. Um, but other than that, just it's it's just a sad state of affairs when people like steal someone else's good idea to try to make a quick buck. Uh, so what, it, what is it about? I'm sorry. No, no. Go ahead, Barnes. What is it about? I'm curious what you think since since you do design work there. What is it about the app store that makes? It's hard to call it piracy. It's really just plagiarism, I guess. What it may, what is it about the app store that makes that so possible, accessible, and profitable? Well, there's a few things. Like what what kills me, uh, and I'll probably I'm gonna get like murdered by Apple people here shortly after revealing this secret. Yeah, but um, <clears throat> if you can get on to like your uh, iDevice, you can get to the app files, and the app files are basically zip files, so you can rename them and get the assets and stuff out of them. And they're pretty, uh, from what I understand, I personally don't. Uh, care enough to do that <laughs> but uh like you can it's fairly easy to reverse engineer something like that um and so if you've got quick access to everything i guess really what it comes down to other than the fact that it's just so easy to do is that apple is inundated with apps 
like constant. Oh, so it's easy for things to get slipped through. Well, right. Uh, I'll give you a, a great personal example. I'm, I'm, I have an app up, and I put it in on the 15th for uh, release, and now it's in review uh, a full week later. So, like, they're so absolutely slammed uh, that they, yeah, I, I, it's like they they catch certain things, but, like, you'll see stuff like emulators show up. You know, I mean, and that's that's mean. absolutely <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. And it, it it's like completely against Apple's policies, and you wonder how this got through their approval process. But uh, yeah, so like these people, they they set up these accounts and they throw these games up really fast. They make a quick buck on them, and then by the time they're yanked down, they've got their money. So, I mean. Or like Zynga, look at Zynga's model of mm-hmm. uh, let's rip everybody off and then win in court, you know, or just like outlast them, basically. So is this fellow who had his app stolen? Has the has the counterfeited app been pulled, or is it still available? I believe it's still available, but I'm not sure 100. Right. And uh, what, what's the name? So is his actual game that he made also on the App Store? No, and that's the bad part. He's been Good working Lord. on this version, trying to make it like. Different, add some stuff to it, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, so somebody took his game and put it on the App Store before he put his game on the App Store. Right. Well, uh, in, in related news, I would like everyone to look for this new game that I just made that's on the App Store called uh, Irked Avians. Try it out. Yeah. It's, on, it's only 99 cents. Uh, I think you'll like it. Uh, give it a shot. Cents. <laughs> I, it, better not be anyth- it better not be anything like my disgruntled ducks that's up there. Oh, I'll see you in court, arms. <laughs> In space court, you know, you know, you know. What's funny is that you know, board games on on iPad and, and on the iPhone are becoming a much bigger thing now. And what's starting to happen is that, in addition to the the, the official licensed versions of game, the versions of games, there are starting to be copycat games, oh, yeah. board games on there. There was there was a game I I, uh, I looked at yesterday called Motherload, and it's. I don't. I don't think it was done maliciously. I think the person that did it is a big fan of, of the the source game, but it's basically survived the old Parker Brothers game, uh, just with a space setting. I mean, it's literally survived, but with you know just different graphics, basically. Um, and then there's also you know there's there's a, a Dominion clone that uh, Donald Vaccarino, oh, right. the designer of the game, said you know I don't care if it's up there until we put out the new one. Uh, there's also there's a version of Pandemic that's they've changed it to zombies other than a disease, so that's that's up there. So it's it's weird that there's like this culture of of, of copying that's going on there. Now I want to play a version of Pandemic with zombies instead of disease. What, what's it Are called? Are you sure? Yes. What? what what's the uh, matter? I can't I can't remember what it's called. I think it might be called something like Epidemic or something. It was something really close. But apparently, Epidemic. apparently it's it's apparently it's really good. I mean, if you like Pandemic, it's, apparently it's really good. So now why I like I like diseases better than zombies though. So. Ah, I see. You prefer a disease. Okay, so you would rather see, for instance, uh, Contagion than Night of the Living Dead. No, 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 no. Hold on. Now, I love Night of the Living Dead. I love I love Dawn of the Dead too. Day of the Dead's kind of marginal, but but uh but uh just over the zombie thing. So All right, so uh, let me recommend for you a, a movie you'll love called Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman and I think Sean. Oh, no, Jesus. Right up your alley. <laughs> or what was that Sean Penn one where or not Sean Penn? Sean Connery. 
I'll counter that with the Andromeda strain, okay? Uh, oh, snap. Wow. Oh, yeah. I feel like I got schooled terribly. The Sean Connery movie is oh. Medicine Man, I think. Or Medicine Man, yeah. Oh, God. Finding yeah. the, the cure for cancer and those little bugs or whatever. You know? Well, yeah, he's a Scottish everything. Is this the movie? Uh, I'm sorry, did I get on the wrong one? <laughs> You're totally on the wrong one. It's, we have that's crossed that's okay. the street. Yeah. Movies, we can, let's go. <laughs> uh, oh, wait yeah. a minute. The only movies you can see these days are things like Hop and like like little animated Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. That's Shoot. all you're allowed to see it these days. Rango the other day. Is Rango good? Should I see Rango? Freaking awesome. Oh, great. All right, fine. I'll watch well, it. You know how most of these kids movie, kids flicks today is they'll, they'll have the disco dance and animals, and they'll play the Smash Mouth song, and there'll be a bunch of, like, coy pop culture. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Fortunately, yeah. Barnes, I can say no. I don't know what you're talking uh, about. I, I do know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rango references Hunter Thompson, Sergio Leone, and and surrealist cinema. So if that means anything to you, and Ralph, it's got this weird like Ralph Bakshi like quality to it. It kind of like calls back to like kind of style, and the animal designs are really grotesque and like upsetting. Uh-oh. It's it's awesome, and the writing is really good. The voice acting is great. It's I was I was stunned. I rented it from Redbox. So, and I thought, all right, here's our cart. You know, River will probably enjoy this because the animals or whatever. And I'm watching it, and and there was this scene towards the end where there's this rattlesnake that has a chain gun attached to its tail, and it's shooting at this like flock of bats that's flying at it. And my kids, River, sitting right here, and I just said, I said out loud, I said, this movie is fucking nuts. <laughs> I love it. I bought it. I bought it. I went out and bought it. I was like, I gotta have this. This is this is great stuff. So. <laughs> you know yeah. You know what I didn't know about it though is that it, it's actually a full blown western. I mean, no, no. I mean, no kidding. It's just a full on genre western, which I didn't get that from the trailers. I thought it was just going to be you know an animal cartoon movie, but it, it was awesome. So I have a quiz for you, Barnes. What is uh, and this is a quiz with only one question on it. What is the animated version of Seven Samurai? The animated there's there was like this anime called Samurai Seven. Nope, nope, not an anime. I'm talking about an actual like Western cartoon. It's a Western cartoon. Well, Western in terms of as opposed to Japanese, as opposed to oh. anime or manga. Okay. Um, and it's a it's a straight up just like you know Lion King is Hamlet. Uh, this is no, a sp- the Lion King is actually Kemba the White Lion. <laughs> well, which is what? Hamlet. Yeah. 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 No, no, absolutely. Yeah, no. You're, you're right. That's uh, the old Disney grab. Yeah. <laughs> but but this is this is straight up this is straight up seven samurai. The Disney grab. <laughs> um, I don't know. I gotta say you've stumped me and I'm I'm kind of embarrassed and shocked and I'd like to ask that this be redacted from the podcast. <laughs> nope, this will be played on a loop for a while. This will be the entirety of the podcast is Michael Barnes saying, quote, Tom, you've stumped me. <laughs> you have stumped me. It's about movies. I mean, if you stump me about games, I don't think I'd be so upset about it. But what, tell me, please, what is it? Well, first of all, okay, I've got my new ringtone for my cell phone. Tom, you've stumped me. Uh, so uh, have you seen Bugs Life, the early Pixar thing? Oh, no, that's oh, hey, Pixar yeah. I've actually seen. Yeah. Oh, you know uh, what? Is that Pixar? Yeah, yeah, that's totally. Yeah, it's Pixar. Pixar. Yeah. It's a Pixar movie no one cares about other other than Up. Well, you know what happened? I think it got uh, because it was released around the time as as that horrible Woody Allen ants thing, which yeah, I yeah, think yeah. was uh, DreamWorks. It got yeah. sort of a confound. It sort of got mixed up with that one. Yeah, but Bugs Life is awesome, and it's it's, it's Seven Samurai. Up. Yeah. So, really. There you go. Okay. So, uh, and you can watch that with your kids. I think River yeah. would enjoy it. So, when do you uh, introduce the children to wizards? 
<laughs> you know, Jason, it's funny that you say that because we went and ate at this hamburger joint that just opened here in Atlanta called Grindhouse, and they've got this yep. sort of like robots and science fiction theme. And I'll be damned if they weren't playing Wizards on the on the TV screens, the big screen TVs, and there and we're, and River was sitting there watching it. Uh, that's so he, my jam. He has already seen Wizards. He also he loves Secret of Nim, Iron Giant. Loves oh. Iron. Oh my God! Every Both of time he's on a dark den, he starts saying, "Robot, robot, I want to see robot," because he wants to see the Iron Giant. You know what, Barnes? I, I was a little worried about your parenting skills when you when you observed that Rango was quote fucking awesome, but I think you've redeemed yourself based on the diet of animated films that you were exposing River to. Well played. Oh, I mean, I'm 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 the I'm number one dad, dude. So. McMaster, <laughs> uh, who is next then for news of the week? Or actually. Is does is that a wrap? Because Barnes, you have a backup news of the week, right? I do, and, and it's something I think is very important. So it's a game announcement I got in a in a press release, and I think I think that the listeners of Quarter to Three would like to like oh, to hear it. Mm. I, 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 I'm really looking forward to it. Capcom is coming out with a new game called World Gone Sour. It's it's going to be on Xbox Live and uh, on PlayStation Network, so you can just download it from the privacy of your own home. No one has to know that you bought it. Uh, but it's it's based on the Sour Patch Kids. What? Uh, yeah, and of course, listen to this. <laughs> Scoff, if you will, listen to this. World Gone Sour takes players on a journey from the perspective of a lost piece of candy finding its way to its ultimate destination, the human stomach. Jesus, what the? Uh, you're going to get to go to, to go to unique locations such as the sticky floors of a movie theater and a spooky shack. And um. if you're not already excited about this, this is going to get you. Okay, it has a song, an exclusive song from Grammy Award-winning hip-hop artist Method Man. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, yeah. So do we even need to discuss this, or should we just let this sink in? I just want I have one question for you Barnes. I don't know if you can answer it, but this is the burning question I think in all of our minds. Will this game feature mastication? Given that that's a, 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 a I think that's going to be one of the checkpoints on the goal to the ultimate destination which is the human stomach. So it seems like it would have to be there. Right. Okay. I, yeah. I I expect that uh, I hope that there will be a trophy on the PlayStation Network for mastication in World Gone Sour. We'll see. I hope so. I really do. And, and you know, it, 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 it's not listed in, in the press release, but I'm assuming that lemon and lime come with the game, but cherry and grape, you've got to buy extra as DLC. Oh, hey. It's, uh, and, uh, and, 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 certainly, and certainly four months from now, there'll be an ultimate world gone sour, which will contain grape but not cherry. You'll still have to buy cherry separately. Very nice. I see what you did there, uh, Barnes. Well played. Well, it's Capcom. Um, but, no, it actually is narrated by uh, Creed. From uh, the office. Uh, yeah, it is. It says the narration is cheeky as well. So Creed, that's a band. Well, right. I mean, I guess they're just going to play with arms wide open or whatever the song is in the background. <laughs> All right, so there's our news of the week. Uh, Barnes, when can we play World Gun Tower? Uh, it looks like it's going to be hitting fairly soon. Uh, April 10th on PSN and April 11th on Xbox Live. All right. Got it on my calendar. Uh, McMaster, what happens now on the Quarter to Three Games podcast? I guess we'll talk about games. I believe we will. <laughs> That's silly. Who would want to do that? <laughs> I know. It seems uh, it seems redundant. but um, And uh, you know what? Barnes, why don't you go first? Well, my pick for Game of the Week... Do you want to hear about my, my not Game of the Week first? 
Should I do that? Yeah, Ninja Guide 3, yes, I'd li- I'd like to hear about that in a little bit, at least. <laughs> Alright, so, okay, Team Ninja. <laughs> All right, uh, this is the ones game. without. Um, this is a. Uh, this is without uh, Itagaki. Itagaki. Yeah. 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 Well, well, I mean, it's probably going to have so much uh, less. I mean, I would think rape or anything in it. Well, well, here's well, here's the irony of it. You know, you know, I was, I was actually starting writing on the review earlier today, but uh, back when Heavenly Sword came out, Itagaki made this comment. I think it was in a. I think it was an EGM, but he said that he'd never play. He had never played a good game that had. I, giant icons of which buttons you need to press come up on the screen, which obviously is referring to QTEs. They, I swear, Team Ninja is trolling the hell out of him because you, as soon as you start Ninja Gate Three, <laughs> you're hit with like ten minutes of QTEs, just constant no. together. Press X, giant X on the screen. I know they're just like saying, you know, screw you, boss, you know, whatever. But uh, you know, I, the last Team Ninja game I played was Metroid Other M, which was just terminally awful. Uh, and, and the thing about it is, is they're kind of doing the same thing with Ninja Gaiden that they did with Metroid, is that they're stripping it down to this like really spare core, which on paper I like because I like minimalist, really focused designs like Journey. But what they've done is they've taken out every reason that anyone ever played Ninja Gaiden. Uh, it doesn't have that like really baroque, over the top feeling. It's still really visceral and graphic or whatever. But like there's there's almost nothing to do in the game other than chop people up. I mean, you walk around and then you you, you know the combos are they feel like they're automatic. It feels like you're almost don't even have to push the, any buttons. It's it's strange how so much control feels taken away from you. Uh, there's no consumables, there's no economy, there's no leveling up, there's nothing other than killing a bunch of folks. But here's the thing, is that this could be very interesting, because there's there's a beat early in the game where, you know, Ryu's killing all these terrorists and they're going to blow up Big Ben or something. I've already forgotten if that tells you how resonant the story is. But you get to the point where this guy... You know, they're, they're typical ski-masked thugs that you've killed in millions of video games since time began. But he takes off his mask, and he's like, no, no, no. And it's like, it's kind of shocking. You're like, oh, my gosh, this guy, this is a person. It's not, you know, just some random guy. And the guy's saying, I shouldn't have taken this job. You know, I'm just doing this to, <laughs> to support my family. And, you know, I, I have children, and I, I, I'm sorry. You know, I, I shouldn't have done this. And the th- interesting thing is, is the controls change at this point so that you cannot do anything other than walk forward and s- kill him. So there's there's kind of this interesting comment going on there about video game violence and sort of real world ramifications that you don't expect from a Ninja Gaiden game, which is usually all just about you know the gore, violence, swords flashing all over, you know the whole Chanbara sort of influence thing. So so there's this cool thing, but then it doesn't do anything with it, and it gets you know there's this part where it's you know there there there's all this stuff about his arm, how it, it's the grip of murder, and it contains all the souls of the, all the people he's killed, which is a cool idea. But but it never really comes to anything. Like in you know one of my favorite boss fights in all of video games is getting back to Metal Gear Solid. Is Metal Gear Solid <laughs> Three where you fight a boss and, and the the whole it's not even a fight. You're just walking through a river and Snake is encountering the ghost of anybody that you've killed in the course of the game. And it needed something like that to really drive home that point because you know the the, the goal that they were getting at with this game is they wanted to get more into his character and they wanted to get into some of the you know the psychology of him being this like master killer that's killed all these people but he's still sort of this anti-heroic figure but it just doesn't do anything with it and the, and the game is so 
narrow-minded about what it is and what it wants to be that it just it's just it turns into just a drag to play because it's so repetitive you know there's just nothing going on everything's stripped down there's only one weapon i think they announced that there's going to be more in dlc which doesn't make any sense to me uh you know give us what you got up front you know but the, so, the magic is all is there's only one ninpo spell and it's like this dragon that like clears the screen and refills your health bar so it's compressed into one thing but so it's, Barnes, it's just, as, oh. as a guy who plays these kinds of games, uh, what would you consider the gold standard for that kind of experience? Like Bayonetta. what? What is uh, right? Bayonetta. Bayonetta? Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Oh, Bayonetta. I thought you said, yeah, yeah. You know what? That's exactly what I was thinking of as yeah. you were talking. Is I, I want to go play Bayonetta again. Yeah. Great game. See, and see that, and, and, and playing this game, comparing this game to Bayonetta, it's like Bayonetta is the true heir to the Ninja Gaiden games. Right. It's baroque. It's over the top. It's you know, it's got all this stuff you can do and there's all these things you can unlock and skills and all this and, and it, it's much closer to what Ninja Gaiden fans want I think and including myself than what they tried to do I, I appreciate that they tried to do something different I appreciate that it, that it is somewhat ambitious and, and that they're looking at you know really sort of revising the game and, 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 and sort of bringing in sort of these different ideas and stripping away things and getting at this really raw core. I love that, but it's just they, they can't do it. And they tried that with Other M, too, and it didn't work there either. So I don't, I don't know. I think they're just I think they're going in the wrong direction. So what you're saying is this is not your game of the week. <laughs> no, but, but 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 should I talk about my game of the week? Yeah, I actually, like? you, you spoiled your pick, so uh, I'm curious to hear about this. I think this is uh, one of those things where uh, you and I see eye to eye, even though we have a very different approach to this genre. Yeah, um, well, it's well, well, let's just cut to the chase. It's Sign Mora, which is on you know new this week on Xbox Live, and I I'm a, I'm a big fan of bullet hell shooters. I, I've loved them all my life. Um, you know, going back to Defender, and it's not Bullet Hell, but this style of game goes back to Defender and Space Invaders, Galaga. I love those games. Uh, but I think it's one of the best shmups I've ever played. Mm-hmm. I, I, it completely blew me away. It, in many ways, I consider it this year's Bastion. Uh, it's a totally different genre. It's a totally different approach. But it's got... It's got a resonance, and it's got an attention to, to beauty and detail and story and gameplay that's really just not common, even in that genre now. Uh, you know, really the gold standard for shooters is is the cave games, which are all on iOS and great ports, and the treasure games, Akaruga and Radiant Silvergun. And this game is as good, if not better, than those. Now, uh, as a as a hardcore shmup fan, a guy who plays these kind of games, uh, what is it that you think they they have gotten right in Sign Mora? Well, well, they've got they've got the format right. Uh, I love that there's a story mode. There's a lot. There's more depth in it than I, than you see in almost any shooter anymore. I mean, you know, if you look at the cave games, for example, it's literally like go shoot this stuff, and you know that's cool because it's all skill based and score based, and, and there's a lot of fun to be had there. But they've added a story. They've made it actually really accessible for people that don't usually play these kind of games. Because you know, I, I, you know, I've talked to people that are like, "Oh, those games must be impossible to play." Because you look at the screen, and there's like literally 500 bullets. But you know, they've added the slowdown mechanic, so that that makes it easier for people to get accustomed to maneuvering and, and you know using sort of developing skills that, that come from playing the game. I think they got the designs of all the enemies right. The bosses are amazing. They're some of the best shmup bosses I've ever seen. Because too often in the genre, you'll see bosses that look like just sort of this biomechanical mass of stuff. Uh, and that's very boring. And, and these bosses all have like different characters and different environments, and they look great, and they have 
completely different tactics to fight them. Uh, <clears throat> I think they've got the controls are dead on. Everything about it just they're firing on all cylinders, and it's funny because it's actually it's it's going to be most people are going to know this as a grasshopper manufacturer game, but it's actually a digital reality game with grasshopper manufacturer assisting them. Uh, and digital reality is a Hungarian company. They did a, a game that almost no one played last year called Skydrift. That was an arcade style uh, plane racing game that was great. Um, but they obviously have an affinity for these kinds of games, and it really shows that they love the style of game, but they wanted to do something more with it and revise and innovate it in, in, in several different ways. I, I love that. I think, I, I, I mean, from the moment I put the game, I put it in, listen to this, it's a downloadable game, I put it in, it's, it's going to, you know, you know, five years from now, it's going to sound old-fashioned anyway, but, uh, you know, from the moment I started it up, the menus looked right, the fonts looked right. The graphic design was dead on the money. The, the fully 3D environments where you have you, you have a squadron in the background flying over those those Miyazakian hills, and it comes into the foreground. It's the, the visceral quality of it was, was right there. The thrill of getting through these gigantic storms of bullets and maneuvering these tiny little movements to get through and, and get your shots in. It's it's just it's they really have a finger on what makes not only what makes a shmup great, but what makes it better. So I'm, I'm totally blown away by it. I absolutely loved it. I reviewed it over at New High Scores, and I hope that someone will read it and play that game because I think it's absolutely fantastic. Did you ask Bill if you could unlock the A plus for uh, that review? I don't review? have to. No high scores? Are you kidding me? Because <laughs> you guys don't use. We rate we rate a zero to a hundred scale there, buddy, <laughs> and it's a zero or a hundred. <laughs> uh, so. One of the the highest praise I can afford I can offer to Sign Mora is uh, I am not a fan of of that genre. I can certainly appreciate it. I can dabble in it. Uh, I tend to like things like uh, there, there, there's been a series of like Space Invaders Infinity Gene games that are just kind of yeah. real, they're idiot-proof, and you can just mess around in those, and they're sexy. Um, but I look at some of the classic treasure designs, and I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. I will never play it. I will never get very far with it. Radiant Silver Gun, for instance. I can did you, look did at you that. Get the, did you get the Radiant Silver Gun reference in Sign Mora? Oh, I'm not going to get references. Like, what's the Radiant Silver Gun ho, reference? Ho, 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 ho. So I get, I get you back for the Bugs Life thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't claim to know shoot 'em ups, though. So. <laughs> but you're the video game master, dude. I That's true. Make no claim. Sword. But what's the, the, what's the, the, one of the secondary weapons is the sword from Radiant Silver Gun. Oh, the, the, the little like the thing the that, sword that comes yeah. together, yeah. That's radiant. That's from radiant silver gun. Well, th- well, that's the sense I get is that these guys are huge fans of the genre. They're not like, hey, let's sit down and do this throwaway Xbox Live arcade game. I get the sense that these guys have a long history with these kinds of games. Well, and- yes, you know what? You know what? Do you know what other games they've designed? Digital reality? Well, not not yeah. making them, but playing them. Oh, I like, see. Okay, because like, they they've done like you know four X games on PC. No, no, no. I know they they do the Hegemonia and Imperial Galactic. Yeah. Series. I mean, the Hungarians are crazy, man. Who knows what they're doing? But I get the sense that they loved playing these shoot 'em ups, and they want to make a sort of a next gen version that doesn't. That's not a throwback like Radiant Silver Gun. Like I tried right. Radiant Silver Gun, and I feel like, wow, that must have been a great time to to learn a new genre and to really bite into it and master it. That's passed me by. I'll never get to that point. But here's this cool relic of that time, and it, it's sort of cool to try it and see how things used to be. But with Sign Mora, I get the sense that these guys have loved the genre, and they want to bring it to people like me. So what 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 I get out of that is, 
it makes me want to be better at these kind of 2D side-scrolling shooters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there there aren't many genres. Like, if I see a genre that I'm not normally into, I'm like, well, you know, that's kind of cool. I'm not going to practice it. It's not going to bring me around. But this makes me appreciate the genre more. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think you're absolutely right, and I, and I think they've actually come out and said that you know they wanted to do you know very modern uh, shooter versus because you know like I said most most of this field now is uh, there's been a lot of, of you know updates and remakes or whatever you know the, the cave games on iOS the Ikaruga and Radiant Silver Gun on on Xbox Live or whatnot there's not ever there's not a lot of room for innovation and there's not really ever a lot of new games that come out of, out of it uh, you know a lot of the games like this that I usually play are 10 years old 15 years old and this is a completely new one that has all, all this new stuff in it and an awesome story and awesome characters and not this whole like you know, Miyazaki meets heavy metal design sense. I mean, it's, I'm in love with it. It would now, be one of my picks for Game of the Year right now. Barnes, I want you to, as a, as a guy who I played through the story mode, you know, you can play that on normal or I think hard, and now there's an arcade mode where you just start at the beginning of the story, you have three oh, lives, Lord. you get as far as you can, but then there's a score attack where you're just, you can pick any stage and you're trying to get a high score on that stage. I cannot make any progress in arcade mode and, and uh, high, the scoring mode. What advice do you have for a guy like me? Close your eyes and pray. <laughs> it's, All right, it's it's freaking hard, and it's it's hard by my standards. And that's that's some that's another strength of the game, I think, is that it does have that ex- level of accessibility where you know anybody can go into the story mode, and they might struggle on some parts in, in the normal difficulty, like that the 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 the, the maze boss. In I love that. I lo- I never want to see that again. Killed me. Oh my gosh! I first just time. blew through continues on that. But now, when I get to that level, I pass it on one try because I've learned how to do it. So, I mean, that, that's the thing about these games. It is, it is a learning process, and you do learn certain skills, and you learn certain patterns so that when you come back, you don't just get completely slaughtered. So even on those really high difficulty levels, if you were to sit down and, and just like you would in, in an arcade back in the day and learn the rhythm of it and the pattern – you could get through it. I mean, it's, it's not that it's impossible. It looks impossible. But, you know, this is kind of one of the thrills of this genre is that when you do overcome these impossible odds, that it, it's it's thrilling. It's exciting. You get a little jolt from it, you know? So... Well, they they lay out actually when you when you play single player you can either go into story mode arcade mode or uh, scoring mode uh, but then at the bottom there's something called and I've seen this in other shooters and it I guess I never really appreciated why it was there but at the bottom there is boss training so what happens is that I try you know I try to do the high score mode on one of the levels and I can shoot regular dudes easily enough but then I get to a boss and I lose all my continues I try it again I get to the boss pretty quickly I have my weapon powered up it kills me over and over I lose all my continues so what I realized is oh I'm supposed to go into that boss train yeah. and figure out how to beat the boss because that's one of the and I guess this is how shmups work for people who are good at the genre is that you go up against a boss and you kind of have to learn it you have to right. study it you have to figure out how to beat it, and once you've figured that out, it's not necessarily a, a challenge of dexterity. I mean, that's an element of it. But once you figure it out, those bosses go down like they got glass jaws. Mm-hmm. And right. that was my experience in the story mode, is I would get to one of the bosses, I would blow all my continues, I would be frustrated, but then once I sort of mastered the trick for the boss, it was no problem. Right. So right. Uh, I, I love that approach, and so that's what's, what I'm sort of doing now, is I'm trying to figure out specific bosses, so that when I get to them in the high scoring mode i sort of know what to do 
Uh, and, and that's another point of accessibility, too, because traditionally that kind of a, a mode is unlocked when you beat a boss, and then it goes into you know a boss rush or boss attack mode or something where you can like just play the bosses. And this, they're saying, we want you to learn how to do it versus you did it, now you can do it again. You know? Right, you know what it is? So, now, that's I really think you're cool. Right. When you lose all your continues, even if you don't beat the boss, it gives you a little then message saying yeah. you've unlocked this in boss training mode. Right, I so think. go there and don't blow your continues, don't get frustrated. <laughs> come back when <laughs> come you're back. ready, kid. Yeah, come back when you're ready. And that's really cool because, I mean, it's... Uh, I like that because it promotes the genre too. It makes people understand. Oh, I have to practice. You know, it's not something I can just blow through. I mean, and and you and you should and you shouldn't feel frustrated and you know I don't want to go through that level again just to get to the boss and die. I mean, because that that's I mean that's a barrier to entry for these kinds of games. So I um, think that's awesome. One of the best things that they've done as well is how short and distinct the different sections are. Yeah, yeah. Very so there's focused. a real sense of reward as you persevere and see new things. And I really like how they un how they kind of reserve some of the really cool levels for later. I mean, it, it's it's gorgeous throughout. But once I got to I think Tiro's that city at the end, yeah, yeah. I was like, man, this is this is serious payoff. I am so glad I I persevered through those bosses because I this what I'm seeing now is just fantastic. Uh, I loved that. That maze boss just blew me away. I was like, "This is this is brilliant," because <laughs> you know that that fight in particular is so much about maneuver, more yeah. than even the shooting, and it's like it's a totally different skill that they're they're throwing at you. Well, they they kind of set it up. One of the frustrating parts for me was where you have to go through a garbage incinerator, and you have oh, to stay God, with so a chunk. Hard. Oh, me too. God, yeah. you have to stay inside a little chunk of garbage to move through these flames. And if you leave the chunk of garbage, you take serious damage and probably die. Uh, but it, that was, again, a sort of thing where it's teaching you, hey, maneuver carefully. Right, Here's right. this area where before we let you get any farther into the game, you're going to have to master the art of carefully yeah. maneuvering through obstacles well there's, and, there's definitely some influence in, in that and not not specifically the garbage but you know there's a lot of passages in the game that are very specifically influenced by our type uh which is incredibly hard but it had a lot of a lot of the tunnel sort of uh you know you'd, you'd have like you'd narrow out into certain tunnels or passageways or even the vertical scrolling would would go horizontal or you know be, be these sort of different uh more than just scrolling left to right um, and so I, I, they, they definitely got that from our type, I think. But yeah, that garbage part. Oh my gosh, that was so hard. I couldn't figure it out. And then I figured out that you know I was using the D-pad. But then I realized I better what? use the analog stick for this. Uh, it's just this old habit for those games, you know. That's your your hardcore retro. I bet I bet you mm -hmm. own some uh, some uh, LPs. <laughs> Lots. <laughs> uh, one of the really cool things they do very briefly near the end of the game is you are moving from right to left on the screen, and I was like, "Whoa, this yeah, is blowing totally my yeah, my, my mind is blown." <laughs> so, all right, so a uh, great pick. Uh, Sign Mora, uh, Michael Barnes' game of the week. McMaster, when are you going to play Sign Mora and get on the high score list with me and Barnes? I don't know. All right. <laughs> Is this like a running joke on the show? Is like, hey, hey, Jason, what are you? Are you gonna play us? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, McMaster, McMaster does I was listening a great... to last week, and I was like, oh, let's talk about Bastion. And Jason, was like, I'll finish it one day. It'll be, it's all good. <laughs> well, actually, those are the funny thing is those tend to be the exception rather than the rule. McMaster is one of those guys I know who plays pretty much everything. 
yeah. more or less. And so yeah. I, I just have to take the opportunity when I can to gloat about something I've played. I, see. I, see. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, McMaster, because I'm afraid you might scoop me, why don't you go ahead and go next uh, for game of the week? Yeah, you know, maybe you're not going to scoop me. I don't know because I had. To I, I probably was, but you know, why don't why don't you go ahead and go? Since I, I know what it is, just go ahead and go. Do it. We'll, we'll get it over with. Uh, my game of the week is Kid Icarus. Oh, <laughs> you, know what? you know what? Damn, damn you, Tom Shirt, for making me want that. Oh, it's actually I, I, good. I, mean, I didn't. I, didn't, I wasn't really all that interested in it, but then, like, I read your review and I realized that it was something I would probably really like. Yeah, they do. They do that great risk reward mechanic. That's not actually my game of the week, but I will say I do really like Kid Icarus, and I didn't expect to. Uh, I, it's it's just one of those great things where they leverage what the Nintendo 3DS does very well, and they do it with a proven game mechanic. So I, I do recommend Kid Icarus. But my game of the week is not that good. It's not as good as Kid Icarus. <laughs> no, probably not, no. So uh, a friend of mine uh, who I do the movie podcast with, Christian Morosky, he uh, basically uh, told me last year, hey, see this movie Warrior, which I'd seen trailers for, and it's where Tom Hardy fights Joel Edgerton in some MMA thing, and it's really sappy and stupid, and it's infused with MMA uh, culture, which I know nothing uh-huh. about. So I watched Warrior, and good lord, it was stupid. But my observation about Warrior was that it was the stupidest movie that I have liked in a long time. So that is kind of how I feel about Resident Evil Operation <laughs> Raccoon City. It is the worst game that yeah. I have liked in a long time. <laughs> because Operation Raccoon City is indeed really awful at certain things. Uh, it's clearly not a Capcom development. I mean, they, they have a third party doing it whose, whose experience consists of doing uh, PSP shooters. And that's not really something you want to bring to a, a next-generation platform shooter. Um, so a lot of Operation Raccoon City just feels like this rough-hewn, poorly-made shooter that could easily have been ported from the PS2. I mean, it looks terrible. God, it looks awful. Uh, it doesn't have any of the kind of shooting that makes Resident Evil really good and that we've seen recently on the 3DS mm-hmm. in, uh, in Resident Evil Revelations. Which was great. Which was great. And that's a huge part of what makes Resident Evil Resident Evil is this tension about between running and shooting. You can't always do both. And shooting, you have to be in a good spot. It's very tactical and, and thoughtful in a way. Um, but none of that re- – well, I say none of that uh, – Operation Raccoon City is mainly built as kind of a conventional run-and-gun shooter. You know, you're holding down the trigger and you're running around, and it feels very Call of Duty-esque at times. Um, so it's it's a rough development. And good Lord, the, the difficulty pacing is so borked. I mean, the, it opens with this wretched, wretched boss battle that just demonstrates how awful these guys are at game design, where, where you, you're... You think you're fighting a boss battle when instead you're supposed to be doing a sequence where you run from the boss. And the game does not communicate this at all. Uh, So when you first start playing Resident Evil Operation Raccoon City, just keep in mind that guy that the game is telling you to fight, you're not supposed to fight him. You run from him, and you may not know this until you've died 20 times. Uh, Oh, yeah. So and it's full of stuff like that. McMaster and I had a we were playing (laughs) co-op, and we we were fighting a sniper who kept killing us, and only later did we realize, A, it was a boss, and B, there was no way we could kill this sniper. We were just supposed to run to one of those checkpoints to trigger a cutscene. So we must have been there, McMaster, for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. Oh, uh, yeah. 
Oh, God. So, so anyway, for all of this awful stuff they do, I really feel that they've got some cool things here that make me want to keep playing the game. And one of the cool things is the character development. You've got, whenever you play, and I, I think they were influenced by Lost Planet 2, whenever you play, you're going to have four characters. And from you choose from these four characters uh, among six different classes. And the classes are things like there's, a, of course, a medic, and there's a guy who keeps you from getting infected, and there's an explosives dude. So you have to pick four of these six. And if you're playing multiplayer, everybody plays a different character, of course. Each character has a unique kind of skill tree. It's not really much of a skill tree, but there are passive bonuses they can unlock and upgrade. Uh, and then there are active skills they can unlock and upgrade. And the skills are actually pretty thoughtful in that uh, it's not just some guy has a better gun and another guy has more grenades and another guy is good with a sniper rifle. It's not that at all. The characters actually affect the game mechanics in a meaningful way. Uh, for instance, one of the classes is called surveillance. And you might think, oh, that would be the most boring guy. Who wants to be the surveillance dude? That would suck. But what surveillance gets is a bigger mini-map and the option to show all enemies on the minimap, not just for himself, but for his team. Furthermore, he can show on the minimap, just for himself, all the collectibles. The surveillance guy has a bird's eye view of where health is, of where ammo is, and nobody else gets that. Like, if you want that, you got to be the surveillance guy. Um, so I, I really like their character system. Uh, it's one of those games where whenever you play single player or multiplayer, you're, you're earning points that you can apply to advancing characters. Your characters in single player are the same ones you're using in multiplayer. Um, the gun unlocks, uh, I think, are meaningful. They've got a lot of different guns in there, and you can, get, you can equip any character with any gun. Uh, I really, really like their infection system. You know, for years we've been shooting zombies, and it doesn't. We don't care if the zombies scratch us because we're not going to turn and turn into a zombie. That's something. That's an important part of zombie lore that almost no zombie game does. However, here, when you take damage, there's a chance you will be infected, and what that means is you are slowly losing health unless you cure yourself. And one of the classes can cure people. There's a, a pickup, like a health kit you can sometimes find that'll cure you. But if you don't get cured, your health is going to run all the way down, and then when you die, you become a super powerful AI-controlled zombie, and you're going to attack all of the guys on your team. Uh, now, if they can kill you and, and, and revive you, you're cured. Uh, but otherwise, you're just you know there's this infection mechanic that can mess things up for the other for the other guys on your team. So I like that. Just as far as like shooting lots of zombies, you know they've got that in there. Um, so McMaster, when you and I played, so you, you weren't sold on it. Have you come around at all? Uh, you know, I, I like it a bit better now. I, when we first started playing, it was right after I'd finished the first level and, uh, was very angry, very, very angry still. Um, I, I feel like I had to talk you down. Yeah, you really did because, uh, <laughs> it, it was rough. Um, that boss fight took me a really long time. It, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why, I mean, it, you start the fight, and it won't let you turn around at all. So, like, you, you can't run from him. And then you back up a bit, and then there's a cutscene, and then you can run from him. But what does that say to you? you know, it, it, and when you get to the end of the hall, there's no real prompt other than the possible, like, if you go up to the door, 
it says hit A to open the door. And when there's a guy that runs at you, that kills you in a few hits, like juggles you basically, you can't, you, you don't really think about, oh, I better search the surroundings. Right. Uh, and, you know, it is, it's very Lost Planet otherwise, uh, except Lost Planet did a much better job of telling you what it expected you to do. Now, yeah, Lost Planet, you can tell, was developed by, you know, it was a sequel. It was done by people who've done shooters before. Uh, that's not the sense you get with Operation Raccoon City. Uh, now, what character were you playing? I was playing the scientist, right? The field scientist? Yep. And what does she get to do? Oh, yeah. Her ability is um, she can take over um, the infected. Or um, also she can uh, you know, hit like living people with darts. And uh, as when they die, they come back under her control. Uh, so that's uh, that's actually pretty cool. It's sort of like when when McMaster and I were playing, uh, I'd be shooting zombies, and every every now and then I would see a glowing zombie buddy who was fighting on our yeah. side, and I would know that McMaster's character had been con- using her little hypo gun, converting dudes. Uh, and that's another example of a, a unique mechanic that only that class gets. Uh, oh. Yeah, you know there there was actually a few times that we were stuck. Though in the last uh, couple of levels, trying to figure out what to do, uh, there was that one sniper one at the end of the hallway. Right, Ada Wong, who we hate. We hate uh, Ada yes. Wong, right? Yes. And then there's Ada the- Wong is awesome. <laughs> oh boy, not if you've played Operator. Well, the, the thing Barnes here is that you are the bad guys. So you're you're the oh, evil. Right, right, um- right. You're the mercenaries that work for Umbrella, sure. and the boss characters you're fighting are characters from the early Resident Evil games mm-hmm. uh, who are, were good guys, and they even use cutscenes, which is kind of cool, from Resident Evil, with the idea being that you're mm. seeing this stuff happening because you're in Raccoon City trying to mop up the mess, and so you're seeing, like, I don't know, Leon Kennedy and Claire Redfield when they first meet and all that stuff. You're, you're uh, hanging out with Hunk, you know? Yeah, oh, I mean, all right. Like if you're if you're a Resident Evil fan, this this is gonna be this is like a little uh, you're gonna love the story here. I had no idea what was going on because I don't really follow that. Uh, so uh, McMaster, we that also uh, brings to mind another cool mechanic that is kind of from Left for Dead. But every gun, in addition to doing a certain amount of like damage and holding a certain clip size and range, you know, all those stats are available. But every gun has a stat called Blood Frenzy. And what yeah. that means is when you shoot someone, how likely they are to enter a state called blood frenzy where they're bleeding. And you see the character model, like a little stream, streams of blood fly out of it. It looks kind of funny, but it's a clear indication that this character has been blood frenzied. And what that means is that now all the zombies are going to go into rage mode and attack that character. <laughs> and that's it turns a cool, them into chum. <laughs> well, it, it yeah. basically is the the equivalent of getting vomited on by that fat uh, dude. Yeah. For yeah. Dead. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you do it with guns, and certain guns are more effective than others at it. So one of the ways that this is used, and it, it's it is the very last, the next to last battle in the game. So it's kind of stupid that they put it here, where they introduce the mechanic. Like it's there throughout the game, but where they finally fold it into the game design is the yeah, next they, to last yeah. battle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hmm. Uh, so, and the, the idea is that a bunch of special ops, and and every level, by the way, you basically have special ops dudes who are good uh, good guy military guys you're fighting, and zombies, and they'll fight each other. So it's like there are two factions that also fight each other. But at the very next to 
the last battle, all these special ops guys are behind a barricade, and you have to get through that barricade. But the only way to get through that barricade is to inf- to cause one of the special ops guys to bleed so that all the zombies overrun the barricade and break it down and let you in. Um, so I like that mechanic, but I wished they'd introduced it better. Uh, it's entirely possible to play through the entire game and maybe not even know it's there. Uh, it, it's just such a clumsy design in many ways, but with some cool ideas. So, and McMaster, you've beat it, I understand. Yes. <laughs> so it's one of those games too where I can play. You can go into any level, and you can you can invite your buddies. Uh, McMaster helped me finish the last two levels before he'd uh, done any of the middle stuff. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we just skipped the middle part. You didn't miss anything. Yeah. So. Uh, all right. So that's my game of the week. Not a great game, but one that I uh, really like in spite of its problems. I think I'd rather just play Resident Evil 4 again. Yeah, you're a 4 guy. I'm a 5 guy all the way. What? Really? Yeah, oh, definitely. Well, 4 is missing that great RPG system in, in I 5. I didn't think 5 was terrible like most people do, do tend to, but I, I thought it was pretty good. But, uh, yeah, I'm a 4 guy. Now, why do you like 4 better? Because of the story? or I like the story and setting better. I like... I like I like how big it is. It feels so epic, and there's so many different parts to it. You know, you got the castle, and then you got the village. I think there's some b- much better horror stuff in it, like the part where Leon goes up in the you're up in the tower, and you hear the chainsaw crank up down in the bottom. That's such a great horror moment. But uh, I like the style of it better. Five does I like kind the of writing better. A lot of stuff that makes five good was already in four, so I'll certainly grant you that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. I mean, and they definitely tried to bring forward some of that stuff. I mean, some of it wasn't, you know, according to most folks, wasn't the right stuff. But, but I, you know, I, I don't know. I, when I played four the first time, I thought it was the best console game I'd ever played. But, and I will you grant know, you, I think one of my would change that, but one of my all-time favorite bosses is that catfish, uh, Delago, or what? The oh yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I love that guy. So uh-huh. I, I'll put him up against one of the Colossus's Colossi any day. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> uh, all right, so my game of the week, Resident Evil Orc, or Operation Raccoon City. McMaster, did I scoop you? Was that your game of the week? Uh, it was. Uh, it was. But um, that does give me time to talk about uh, board games, Yay. which I figure we'd be uh, remiss not discussing. Mm-hmm. Um, I luckily stumbled across a copy of Mage Knight the other day, mm. and uh, mm. I'm on pick you, uh, for a game of the year for oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I'm very fond of it so far. It's a um, brilliant design. It's so multifaceted and dynamic, and there's so much interesting things going on, but it's still manageable and playable. Yeah, it really is. Um, like it, what really fascinates me about it is it's. It's got kind of this interesting, like, role-playing kind of element to it in its own right, or, or feel to it, because you're, you're going through the game, and you're not just kind of slogging through monsters or anything, though there is plenty of fighting, but you're also, you have different scenarios you're going through, or, uh, you know, you visit different cities or, or villages, that kind Wait, of thing. Wait, McMaster, let me interrupt real quick. Can you break down for someone who's not, because I, I, I hear the name of this game all the time, but what, what kind of game is it? Like, like for someone who's um, never heard of it, what is Mage Knight? Bill Abner got mad at me for saying that it reminded me of Runebound. 
Um, I'm going to get mad at you for saying Ramada, you're Runebound. I like Runebound. Why does everybody don't not like Runebound? Anyway, it's simple, it? because it sucks. <laughs> well, okay, fine. But uh, no, I think that my biggest problem with Runebound is it takes way too long. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if it was a shorter game, I think it would be much more manageable. Um, but it, it's this whole... Uh, I don't know. What would you say, Barnes? I mean, it's like uh, hexagonal, like well, movement. well, I get. Well, if you've ever if you've ever played the old Avalon Hill game Magic Realm, which I hear crickets and there goes a tumbleweed, um, it's it's very much it's very similar to that. You have a character, so I mean, it's definitely RPG based. Uh, you have a character. You start out with sort of a seed deck of action cards, and on your turn, you you use these action cards to accomplish. Uh, various tasks, and uh, there's a lot of detail to it. There's a night and day cycle, and that kind of controls what magic is available to use, and you use magic to enhance the use of your cards. Uh, the scenarios are varied. You might have to go, you might, you, your character may have to go lay siege and take over a city, but to do that, you need to build up. Uh, you need to build up strength by acquiring cards, artifact cards, and other things. There's a little bit of a deck build building element to it. You might need to go to a town to hire on some folks to come in and join your retinue, and they give you different abilities when you get to a fight. Uh, there's no dice. It's completely deterministic. You play cards, and you try to match certain numbers. Um, it's really, there's a lot going on, but like I said, it's very manageable because the system is very tight. Very tightly designed. It's designed by a Czech designer named Vlada Chivatil, who's done some really amazing work. But he's never really done a game where everything sort of came together. Um, this is the first time I've played a game his where I, I just unconditionally loved it. Uh, everything else I've, I've played has been like, oh, this is pretty good. But the only catch is, is that the game does require... Uh, it comes with two rule books, and one of them is sort of a, a walk-through tutorial yeah. of the first session. But if you play through it, it doesn't take that long. But if you sit down and actually play through it, the rest of the game completely makes sense, and you don't even need to read the other rule book, which right. is really just sort of a reference so that you can go and say, okay, what happens here? We'll look in the rule book. Oh, here it is. You know, the walkthrough is not for that. But the, the trick with that is, is that you, if you're going to play it with other people, and it really plays great solo, which is which is awesome. Yeah, that's what I like quite a bit together. about it too. Yeah, yeah. but if, but if you are going to play it with other people, you've really got to sit down and get everybody to do the tutorial and and play it. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting there for eight, nine, ten hours because everybody's looking at the rule book and they don't know what does what. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a brilliant design. Awesome that you find it. And, and you know, the reason it's called Mage Knight is because. It more or less was a Mage Knight board game, the old WizKids click miniatures yeah. game. Yeah, but yeah, uh, it really, it really isn't so much. It really doesn't have anything to do with the old Mage Knight game at all. Ah, it's, but it's it's very complex, and and you know there's there's a trend going on in board game design right now where things are getting smaller. Uh, and this, this has happened before when the Euro games started coming in in the late 1990s, but but it, but it's happening again now because we sort of went through this period where, uh, especially behind all the fantasy flight games that came out, where games got more elaborate and more complex and more detailed and more components and stuff on the table. Uh, there's been a trend in design to sort of whittle that down. Even at fantasy flight games, their games are they're sort of reined in the bloat uh, on most of their stuff. Uh, but Mage Knight is sort of <laughs> I they needed to. They I mean, fantasy flight is I've like constantly I, lambasted them for their bloat. I, I like. I love fantasy flight games because I love like the level of quality. I guess mm -hmm. of their products, like Except they put out the editing. They they've got to hire somebody to copy edit their stuff. My God, well, every game you I, buy from them has errors now. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, like the actual like the boards and like the pieces and you know, the chits and everything are just awesome. But they like, yeah, hitting their stride around 2003, 2004, they were the high water mark for board game production. It's like when you yeah. their games that was one of the main selling points is their stuff was so well produced. Their graphic design was just way ahead of what everybody else was doing. You know, you, you I remember when, back when Twilight Imperium Third Edition came out is when I when I had my yeah. game shop. And, you know, I we got a demo copy in, and I opened it up, and everybody was just blown away. I was like, wow, oh, yeah. you, you can buy this, you know? Was, and, you know, there's all this cool stuff. You know, thanks to changing prices and gasoline and importation and the cost of manufacturing and whatnot, that's sort of... Their games aren't quite as impressive as they used to be for a number of reasons. And there's other publishers that are doing stuff that's equally as good now, but, but well, yeah, only hitting their stride, it was it was awesome, the stuff they were putting out. Well, I mean, that's why I own copies of, like, the World of Warcraft board game and stuff like that, just because, right. like, the actual quality of the pieces. Like, that game is almost a misery to play. Like, I kind of like it in a way, but it's like, good God, it's one of those eight-hour games. Right you know? So, McMaster, is Mage Knight new to you, or have you had it for a while? Uh, have, you, no, have you been able to play it much? No, actually, I've just uh, been playing a single-player game uh, before uh, the podcast, uh, just to, trying to learn it, and it's, I'm really fascinated with it. Um, it, just, it just came out in November, so it's, it's still fairly fresh. Right. And uh, it's been sold out everywhere, and there was a yeah. game shop down the street from me. I, I went in there. I've never been in before. I looked around everywhere, couldn't see it, and uh, I asked the guy, and, yeah, it was just like... I guess. Uh, yeah, it's it's actually technically out of print right now because it's yeah. between printings because they they sold through the first pressing in, in December, so you just happened to find one that was in stock. Oh, McMaster, yeah. you could have eBayed that. Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. Um, <laughs> I'm too much of a like psycho for owning things. Uh, but the um, yeah, it was a uh, their, their new run starting I think April 18th. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Should be in stores, uh, but it's a—it's uh, just like the quality of the pieces and everything. Also, is really cool uh, about Mage Knight. All of the box—that's uh, something that's like. And it's important to point out too how variable it is too. There's a lot you can do yeah. with it. There's a lot of different scenarios and ways that you can play it. You can play it competitively. You can play it cooperatively. You can play it by yourself. And, you know, there's there's a lo- there's a lot of variety you get out of the box. So it's it's the value proposition is really high for it. Completely replayable. Every time you play it, it's going to be slightly different. So that, you know, and it's not not a set thing. It's not a set adventure. You know, there's always going to be some some different things that happen in it. Yeah, I look forward to like what kind of uh, expansions and stuff they'll release for yeah, there, it. There, there's definitely one in the pipeline, oh. from what I understand. Well, let me ask you this, Barnes. Do you like uh, Talisman or do you hate it? I love it. I love Talisman too. I, I, uh, I, I love it with a couple of beers. <laughs> oh yeah, like see, it's third right. edition Talisman is one of my personal favorites. Oh, okay, uh, you like the skulls one then? <laughs> yeah, skull but, uh, oh yeah, uh, but I also kind of like uh, the new one. But I have the Black Industries version. Right, uh, right, right. I, I, I don't, I don't have like the upgrade pack or whatever. Right. It did Fantasy Flight make it better? They added a couple of new elements that didn't really mess it up. Uh, they added like a new luck token thing where you can use spend. There's like a new resource you can spend for uh, rerolls, and they've added a couple of tweaks here and there. But they haven't really done anything. The, the main thing they've done is just added expansions, which they're starting to spiral off into you know expansion for those. But yeah. yeah, which which Talisman's always been like that anyway. It's oh, not yeah. necessarily wrong that they've done that. If you like Talisman, you really and you and you like Mage Knight, you should really check out a game called Prophecy. 
it's uh, I've seen that. Yeah, it's, it's it was published by Z-Man Games in the U.S., but it's yeah. but it's a Czech game. It's the same designer as Mage Knight, but it was sort of his take on the Talisman style game, um, and it, and, it, and it's similar. You know, you have a track and you have a character, and, and they and they. You know, you flip a card, you might have to fight, you know, monster, or an old man gives you a book, or whatever, you know. Um, yeah. But but it's got some interesting things. There's like you have your character has like uh, certain skills, and they can go to certain guilds to learn different things, or they can go to an off guild and pay a little bit more. And there and there and there's some some very different sort of ideas than Talisman. It's it's really really good. I haven't played it in a long time. I think I actually looking at my shelf. I think I actually traded my copy, but it, but it was a but it's a great little game. Um, if it's still even available, and there, there's a there was a good expansion for it too called Dragon Realm that sort of and changed the end game. But but definitely if you like Mage Knight, you like Talisman, that's a perfect happy medium for you. Oh wow, awesome, yeah, yeah. No, I'll absolutely check that out. I'm always looking for games that are like the problem I have is that I play a lot of games with my wife and uh, some of my friends that aren't like big time board gamers. Sure, a game like Talisman, perfect because anyone can understand a roll and move right. game, flip a mon- flip a card over, or kill a monster. And yeah, I find Mage Knights a lot easier than a lot of the fantasy flight games I've tried people like to get people to do because like right. first of all, it's like it looks daunting, but it's not so bad if you read the walkthrough. It's highly systematic. Uh, right. When once you once you're keyed into the system, everything fits together. Right, which is unlike fantasy flight games like yeah, which will have multiple systems and competing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's talk about sprawl. <laughs> oh my god, I love that game, but it's just it's impossible to keep yeah, up the, with. Yeah, the yeah you know, the designer is, is actually a friend of mine, Richard Lyons. He's he's such a great guy, and he, and he nice. he's is just a quick story about him. He is a guy that literally re- rewrites just about every game he buys. He'll buy a game, <laughs> he won't like something. He'll come back next week. He's like, well, he taught he taught he looks like Steve McQueen. He talks like an evangelist. He comes back. Well, boys, I've I've gone in and I've rejiggered this whole game and I've got this whole new set of rules for it. He'll go into a game that has pre-painted miniatures and repaint them. This man is insane. But he but he but, he, but, I, but I'll tell you this. He loves games like no one I've ever met in my entire life. I've never seen someone so enthusiastic and passionate about playing games and enjoying games with other people than him. So That's he's awesome. a great guy. He's actually on the cover of uh, one of the expansions of Arkham Arkham War. I think he's on the. Uh, Looking at the shelf here, I think he's on the uh, the uh, Dunwich Horror one. Yeah, I have that one. Yeah, I have that in a few. I've God, I've stopped recently. I have like three or four. Uh, yeah, I've got them all, and we never play them. I mean, it's it's such a hassle to bring those out. Oh. I mean, it's like you, you have here. to have a tome of rules to play yeah. that game at that point. <laughs> uh, all right, so McMaster, your game of the week is an is an analog board game. Oh yeah, yeah, Tommy. <laughs> Is that some rinky-dink piano music there or something? You know, some rap. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, no, I, I, I have decided. Uh, I don't think I like co-op board games anymore. Uh, that well, is it a depends on the that game. Is, that's a trend that is very thankfully going away. I think. What people like me not liking co-op board games? Uh, there's, there's been sort of a backlash against co-op games lately. Um, I I'm kind of tired of them myself. Uh, I think the next big thing, and here's here's your Michael Barnes prognostication, is going to be games that are team based and have co-op and competitive elements. Sure. Now you say the next big thing, but the thing is, I've already experienced that with Battlestar Galactica, and I feel like it's kind of ruined for me. Mm-hmm. Like I had someone sit down. More not not that's not quite what I'm I'm, I'm getting at is like uh, for example there's a recent game it's a great game called 1812 the invasion of Canada now that doesn't that sound exciting but, uh, 
But uh, it's a it's a three three players are uh, British regulars, uh, Native Americans, and the Canadian the cowardly Canadian militia, and the other two players are the American regulars and American militia. So it's and every side plays slightly different, and they have their own strengths and weaknesses, and so it has this team based element, but it is also still a competitive war game. And I think right. I, I hope that we'll see more things like that because that's that's sort of an interesting interesting dynamic that doesn't occur all that often in tabletop yeah. gaming. Okay, hold on, let I, me uh, check my schedule. Here. Here, let's see. The next time I'm going to have five board gamers together who are willing to play a game called 1812, The Invasion of Canada. <laughs> I see that as happening uh, never. <laughs> yeah, maybe in the old folks' home. But anyway, my, my point being that uh, I I had enjoyed things like Arkham Horror and, you know, someone showed me the Lord of the Rings card game recently. But without mm. that competitive element, you know, that whole talisman, uh, you know, even like talisman where you're just doing right. dippy gameplay against each other, without that kind of competitive element, I just kind of feel like, you know what, I could just play this solitaire. You know, what do I need? I, I want to do something where maybe we work against each other in some way. Uh, no. With a board game, I just you know, feel if that's missing, then it, you need to play Mage Knight. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's that's, actually, you, that's you know what, what I was going to suggest something even older is there. There's an old Pressman game called Mutant Chronicles that is actually based on that kind of dippy that movie. Tom, or that no, dippy. I, no, 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 no. I saw the movie. Yeah. Oh I, god, it's awful. <laughs> but uh, but no, it's based on that that old Target Games uh, sort of Ursatz Warhammer 40k uh, property. But it's a really great game, and the thing about it is, it's scenario based and it's a tactical. You know, you have little miniatures and you know you fight monsters and whatnot. But uh, so it's, it's really kind of a dungeon crawl or dudes in a corridor style game. But uh, what the neat thing about it is, is that you each represent a different corporation, and it's scenario based, and you'll play a scenario, and you have cooperative goals, but you also have competitive goals. Uh, so you get bonuses for accomplishing your own selfish things. But then the neat thing is, is in the next scenario you play, scenario you play at a player, the player that was playing the bad guys cycles out and plays the corporation, and someone else plays the bad guys. So there's this neat dynamic going on over the course of several games where uh, the antagonist changes, and then you also have both cooperative and competitive goals. It's an old game. It's out of print. will probably never be back in print. Uh, it's designed by Richard Borg, who is mostly known now yeah. for the MMO44 and, and the Command yeah. & Colors games. You know what this reminds me of? I, I was actually having a conversation with someone recently, and she was telling me about the uh, Doom, D-O-O-M, board right. game. Yes. Uh, and she was talking yeah, about how awesome... Yeah, she was talking about how awesome it was and how we should all play it sometime. And I, because we were someplace, right, I think it was like a karaoke thing of all things, but I, I couldn't really hear her. So I thought she was talking about the Dune, D-U-N-E, board right. game. Which is one of the greatest games ever published. Right, so we had this great like five-minute conversation where we were both talking past each other, each assuming the other meant a certain thing. That's awesome. And as the conversation went on, I was like, I don't remember Dune playing like that. I don't think she's yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. She must have had no idea what I was talking about. Um, but that Dune board game, and Barnes, you probably know about this, was recently reprinted, uh, stripped was, of the Dune licensing, and Final GameShark.com. Ah, well, Final Fantasy put that Twilight Imperium skin on it. So someone yeah. showed that recently, and I expected it would be that cool, elegant, round world. But he opened up the board, and it looked like oh my god. They look like art horror. Yeah, they, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you the long and short of my review is that it is still Dune, and they've preserved the things that are are awesome and immortal about Dune, 
But everything that they've added is not so good. All the fantasy flight elements are not great. And the weird thing is, you know, they couldn't do Dune because Frank Herbert's family wants them to instead do a bunch of really awful novels based nominally on the Dune universe instead of licensing out to a company that would do it justice. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Dune can't be remade because the Dune license isn't available, so they did the Twilight Imperium thing. And the weird effect that it's had is it's made the game weirdly kind of abstract. Uh, Like you said with the map, it's like when you see that map of Arrakis, you're like, I know what this is, I know the geography. It makes sense. When you see that weird Arkham Horror-like map of the city and and, and Rex, it's like, who cares, huh? And, you know, when you trade out Benny Gesserit for space turtle people, I mean, well, not so the, much. You know? It's the uh, X-Cha initiative, yeah, right? <laughs> okay, sure. Okay, sure. Whatever. But, you know, here's what's funny. When we play Rex, when me and my friends, we play Rex, we still talk in Dune terms. Everything in the game is still keyed to a Dune term. The influence phase is the spice blow. The influence chips are spice. The Jolnar are the Atreides. The barony of whatever they are, or the Harkonnen. I mean, we still talk about it like Dune. And that really says something about the theme of, of the original game. Uh, but more than that, you know, Dune, not only the board game, but also the novel, has these themes of, 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 of religion and ecology and commerce and mercantilism and imperialism and all these things clashing on, on Arrakis. And that's in the board game, but in Rex, not really. Uh, and so it feels strangely empty. And in, in my review, I sort of allude to this, but and this is going to fly right over the heads of anybody that doesn't know Dune, but but Rex is a Gola, which is in the Dune universe. It, <laughs> you it, are it, such it, a nerd, Barnes. That is awesome. Right, well, yeah, but, but but in the Dune universe, what happens is is, is that there's this uh, the, the, the Bene Talaxu will take your your DNA and create a, a clone of you called a Gola, but they can't quite get the eyes right. And so they've put these metal eyes in these Golas, and so they're, they're, they're more or less the person you remember, but they have metal eyes, and they're not, you know? And Rex is just like that. Rex, The Gola is the perfect metaphor for what Rex is. Barnes, that is one hell of a metaphor to snatch from the Tleilaxu tanks. Well played. Yeah, yeah. Well, well when, <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, you said that the, about the tanks is, is, you know, in the Dune board game, when your guys die, they go to the tanks, and you're like, oh, okay, you know, we have to buy their Golas and you know, bring their clones back. In, in, in Rex, you have a recruitment phase, and you pay money to recruit them out of an uh, uh, unnamed penalty box on the board. So there's that weird abstraction in, in, in where the theme sort of breaks down, the, the Twilight Imperium theme breaks down, because it just doesn't match up as well. Right. All right, well, I, uh, you're, I, I have no desire, after seeing the board, I had no desire to play, what, what's the actual name of it? Is it called Imperium Rex? Oh, Rex. Rex, Last Days of an Empire. But if you, have, if you never have any access to Dune and you're not able to play Dune, I still recommend it because the design, the Eon, the, the, the group of guys that designed it in the late 1970s, the work that they did is absolutely amazing and still stands as one of the best board games ever made. They're, they're the same team that did Cosmic Encounter, which is also one of the greatest games ever made. So, uh, McMaster, when you go back to like that Cosmic Encounter. When yeah, you go back to that board game shop, would you ask them if they have a copy of Dune somewhere there? Oh, I'm yeah, sure I can yeah, find it yeah. somewhere. <laughs> and not Doom, McMaster. I'm not saying Doom. No. Don't show no, something with a BFG and yeah. imps. I don't want that. Or, or you mean reskin Descent? Yeah. Well, actually, Descent, actually, you know, Descent is no re-skinned. Doom. It's Doom. Yeah, you're right. That Doom is first. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> All right, so McMaster, way to introduce a little analog under the podcast. Well done. Well, I'll do what I can. Uh, Michael Barnes, thank you so much for being Absolutely here today. Uh, I, uh, real quick tip, 
for folks listening, you know what's awesome? I don't know about awesome, but uh, I, I recently forced myself to play through Final Fantasy XIII-2. Uh, and by playthrough, I mean get all the way to the final boss and then decide that I can't be arsed to actually beat him and just stop playing. Uh, I am now playing another JRPG based on the fact that some of the people who commented on my Final Fantasy review, they were like, well, you should try this game. And I read the comments and I was like, yeah, whatever, maybe I'll give it a shot. And the game showed up, and I am playing it, and good lord, do I love... And I think it's okay for me to say this because it's out in Europe. Do I love a Japanese RPG called Xenoblade Chronicles? Oh, yeah. Do, do you know about this, Barnes? Do you do, do, do Yeah, RPGs? well, I used to. And, I, you know, I played the, the old Xenogears game, and those were yeah. pretty good. I haven't played the new one. I don't even have a Wii anymore, so. Are they even connected? Like, is it is it the same? I don't oh, it's really all, know. I think they are. I think they are. It's that same right. developer. I mean, it's that same team from inside yeah, Nintendo, yeah. right? Okay. Uh, well, yeah, I, I really like it for kind of all the reasons that I ended up not really liking Final Fantasy XIII, too. Uh, they're just so good at, like, making systems that matter. You know, there are all kinds of systems in Final Fantasy XIII, too, that ultimately don't matter because there's no difficulty. You're just sort of plowing forward through combat. Everything, it seems like, I don't know about everything, but all these cool little bits and pieces in Xenoblade Chronicles uh, feel meaningful in the way they fit together. And I die a lot, like, because if I don't use certain things. Uh, anyway, I'm really enjoying that. So look for that as maybe a game of the week on an upcoming podcast. Who knows? Um, I also would feel remiss if I didn't mention that uh, Mr. Barnes writes for NoHighScores.com, which uh, has recently undergone a uh, facelift. Looks a lot better. It's a yes, really cool definitely. site. And, and, uh, and you guys were recently acquired by Idle Thumbs, right? <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> we're, we're, we're entertaining offers from you know CBS and Fox and uh, you know some right. of the larger media I'm, conglomerates. Some of those. That's, <laughs> yeah, fingers and a lot of pies. You know. That's yeah. Why. We're busy people. <laughs> uh, McMaster, I have a quiz for you. Do you know who's on the podcast next week? Oh wow! You know, that's a good question. Because I do. Uh, we have with us next week a fellow named, um, I'm going to screw up his last name, Matt Marenghi. Matt, anyway, Mary Prankster on the forums. Yeah. His name is Matt. Uh, he and I tried to play a little Armored Core 5. That did not turn out so well. We'll, we'll probably talk about that a little next week. Uh, join us then. I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by Jason Q. McMaster. Did I get the middle initial right? Close enough. All right. And uh, Michael Barnes, thanks for joining us, Michael. And uh, look Absolutely. for you guys, everyone, look for Michael on uh, nohighscores.com. What is, so you just posted a review for Rex, the fall of the Twilight Imperium's last days of the Empire. That's uh, right. What do you currently have on the slate right now? What what reviews do you have coming up? Uh, what do I have coming up? I've got the, there's a new hot uh, Dungeons & Dragons themed Euro game called Lords of Waterdeep that, I, that I'll be probably reviewing in the next couple of weeks. So I just uh, want to real looks quick, pretty good. I want to interject. I don't often hear the words Dungeons & Dragons themed and yeah, hot. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> there's, there's that. But it's a, yeah, it's a full-on uh, Dungeons & Dragons theme that, you know, it, it, over at Wizards of the Coast, they've had an initiative over the last two years to do more board games using the Dungeons & Dragons license, and they've both, mostly been pretty good. And uh, this one's gotten some good notices so far, and I, I got the review copy the other day, so I'm looking forward to that. Is it like um, Castle Ravenloft, or is it like... No, 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 it's it's a, it's like a worker placement area influence sort of game with some oh. Dungeons & Dragons theming, which is was cool. It's not a dungeon crawl at all, so... Mm -hmm. huh. 
So uh, I've, got, and, I've got that coming up. I'm also probably in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to finish out my. Uh, if anyone's been following it, the my Barnes Best series, where I give out the ten best games of every decade, uh, with me being the ultimate arbiter of what is good and bad. <laughs> well, sure. Uh, decade can be a hard thing to wrap your head around. So my hats yeah, off to you. And you know what's funny is this last one is is turning out to be the hardest. Uh, the last ten years is is tough. There's been a lot of really really good stuff in just the last decade. Yeah, but we'll see. So where on that uh, list will Shank be? Hey everybody, we're gonna get laid. <laughs> is that is that what Journey makes you think of? <laughs> <laughs> Steve Perry's an attractive man. <laughs>